Today's episode is brought to us by CS Instant Coffee, the best coffee for any adventure you're going to go on. Use the code ADVENTURE at csinstant.coffee and get 50% off through September and October. So give it a shot. And we're also brought to you by Rome Products. They make elastic knit minimalist style wallets with all sorts of designs. Get 20% off the perfect minimalist wallet for all your adventures. It'll hold everything you need by going to wheredoyouroam.com and use the code PODCAST with a capital P at checkout. And last but not least, we have Umbras, the sunglasses that removed the arms and replaced it with a cord that you can cinch comfortably around your head. It will not fall off whatever you throw at it. So go to ombraz.com to learn more. They saw this couple who looked so average and normal, and we were telling people something no one else at that time was telling them which was there's wonderful adventures to be had and they aren't about having money. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, trying to help you find adventure every day in any stage of life. You're going to hear from explorers, adventurers, business owners, and anyone living their life a little more out of the box than usual. Today we have a very special episode. We're talking to Lynn Party. She has been literally adventuring and sailing around the world for almost 50 years, almost a quarter million miles. She has sailed with her husband, Larry, to 77 countries. You know, I, I you'll hear in the interview, I didn't even know where to start. Uh, we started at the beginning, of course, but you know, if anyone out there is just thinking about living a life really, really, really out of the box... Lynn is a great resource. She has such a wonderful charm, um, wonderful attitude. She's written a lot about it, so you can learn so much more than this interview. We barely scratched the surface uh, of her story, but I hope you enjoy her newest book. Um, it's it's the third iteration of a book she's written called Self, The Self-Sufficient Sailor, and it's on the third edition. You can check it out. It's in the show notes. And... I just hope you enjoy. She's got a lot of wisdom. She's about to go out again and and keep going. Very exciting and very inspiring. And I hope it inspires you. And lastly, if you're out on an adventure right now, uh, I just want to encourage you and say, you know, you got this. You can do this. Maybe you're facing a tough day. Uh, Maybe it was an awesome day. But uh, just know that, that if you ever want to reach out, we're here. We're listening at the Adventure Sports Podcast. And uh, we encourage you to, to keep going and to stay strong. You can do it. All right. Enjoy the interview. What part of California are you in? I'm in a place called Camarillo with my family. Is that where you're from or, or, or no? Yeah, I was born in Detroit, but I was dragged up about uh, 30 miles from Camarillo. But my home is New Zealand when I'm there. So I was going to ask, yeah, I'm sure home is kind of a loose term uh, for you over the last 47 or so years. <laughs> but uh, I'd, I'd love to get into you know your story and how you and your husband got to, to do this and, and where it all kind of started. So you were born in California, you said. Um, no, oh, I'm, born in, 
Born in Detroit. Born in Detroit. That's right. Born in Detroit, and then your family moved out to California. How, how old were you then? Six years old. Okay. Okay. So you were very young. So so that's kind of where you grew up then in, in California. Right. Wonderful. Now, were you introduced to to the water? Were you kind of always involved with the water, or or no? Absolutely not. I um, <laughs> I went to the ocean one day a year with my friends to get knocked over by the surf at Zuma Beach. But other than that, you were not you weren't you, you weren't born with uh, with fin- with gills then. Definitely not. The funniest thing is that uh, to be on an adventure program seems. It seems almost impossible if you think where I started from when I was 20. You know, we, we hear that a lot. And and that's exactly the type of people we want to talk to because, you know, you still probably to this day feel a little bit like, I, I, I'm not an adventurer. You know, I'm just a, a normal person from California that decided to do something. You don't see it probably the same way that the people on the outside do. No, it's funny. One of the things I couldn't quite believe because I was kicked out of university after nine months is that I was asked you have a to, baby <laughs> but I, nine months nine months I was asked just about four or five years ago to be the keynote speaker at a woman's education sem, uh what do you call it uh, uh, a conference at, at uh, the University of Houston and I was to represent adventure and I thought this, and so I put together a talk called The Compelling Power of Adventure. And it was just seemed a strange place to be standing up in front of the provost of the university and all of these highly educated people talking about being, uh, as my brother once called me, a responsible flake. <laughs> I absolutely get that. A responsible flake. <laughs> so I, I'm sure you just felt, you know, that what am I doing here at this conference? Surely there's someone out here more adventurous than me, but but of course, that the, you there's probably few and far between that you run into someone with with a longer uh, ongoing resume than yourself. Well, uh, at that particular conference, I, I was very aware that I was quite the outsider or the maybe the insider in some ways, but uh, they were not they they were a wonderful group of people who. They didn't realize that they actually were adventuresome in their own ways, but uh, it was an it was a very interesting thing. thing. But I, like I say, to look back at where I started from, where my whole life was about being on the debate squad, it was about uh, so-called intellectualizing, uh, civil rights activist, and then to end up being a sailor and you know, or a boat jockey, as we jokingly call ourselves. Boat uh, jockey. <laughs> that was not what I expected out of life. I can only imagine. And now, do you mind taking us back to, you know, what were the conversations, what led to this? What was the first germination of the seed of this adventure, if you will? Do you, do you mind taking us back to that point? Not at all. It's fun uh, because it is so oddball. Uh, I was working in the head office of a company called Bob's Big Boy Hamburgers. And I was being trained to be a computer translator, which is what we were Mm -hmm. called in those days. They now probably are a programmer or something like that. Mm -hmm. But computers were brand new. And uh, because I love numbers, I was, and I found the computers fascinating. I uh, was there 
And one day I said to the man sitting at the desk next to me, uh, I am so tired of dating university types who are also serious. I'd love to meet someone who actually did something, built something, used, you know, got, got out there and did things. And uh, so the guy said, so, what, okay, what's doing things? And I said, I'd like to learn how to sail. And he said, why? And I said, well, it's outside. It's, you know, just different. And, uh, and I said, you know, I think I should buy myself a sailboat. And I was living on my own, and I'd saved up a total sum of $200, which at that time probably translated to two or $3,000 today. And you're talking 1965. And he said, you see that photograph on the far wall? And I said, yes. He said, the company owns that, that schooner. It was an 85-foot schooner. And uh, he says, in fact, you've been taking care of a lot of the bookwork for them. Uh, and he showed me, the, told me the account name. And he said, why don't you call the skipper on it? I've got his number. And uh, maybe he can help you out. So I called the skipper right then and said, this is Miss Atkin. That was my maiden name from head office. I'm an accountant in the accounting department up here. And I would like to buy a sailboat and learn how to sail. And he said, well, it so happens we have a, an eight-foot tender on the boat, and we want to sell it because it's not appropriate. So come down sometime, and I'll show it to you and see if that's anything of interest. So I said, I'll be down that evening. And I drove 120 miles, and he was quite shocked to see a high heel wearing, you know, I'm only four foot ten, and I was wearing a pencil skirt, and I had my hair was long at the time. It was down at my waist, and... I guess I look thoroughly inappropriate at that moment, but he invited me on the <laughs> and he invited me on the schooner. And after showing me the dinghy, he asked if I'd like to go out for dinner before I drove home. And we stopped at a bar, very colorful, grungy little waterfront dive, where he was giving someone some car keys. And he introduced me to two guys who were playing pool, and they just you know just hi bye. And I went you know had a nice evening decided to come back the next day and have a sailing lesson. And the next day, the schooner wasn't there, even though he'd said he'd meet me. And one of those two men came up to me and drove in just then in his little MG, a guy named Larry. And he said, aren't you, Lynn? We met at the Anchor Cove last night. And I said, yeah. He says, well, it looks like Bob's been called away on a charter or something. Why don't you come and have some coffee with me? He was a professional yacht skipper and professional racing sailor. And he had just started building a boat. He had a keel timber that he just cut because woodwork was his hobby. And uh, we chatted. He took. He asked me for a ride back the way I'd come to get on board a boat he was had to move. And long story short, I moved in with him three days later. Holy cow. I mean, it was just that. I mean, on our very first day together, I told him how fascinating the day had been. And his exact words were, stick with me, baby, and you'll go a long way. Oh, my God. That was on our first date. <laughs> so, what, what did you think? Did you say that was corny or you were like, wow, okay. I just, well, he, he definitely wasn't the university type. He made me laugh all the time. Oh. He made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was, uh, it was a, a relationship made in heaven in that we are completely different. He's Canadian. I'm Californian. You notice I don't say American. 
the reason I don't say that is America is such a huge, diverse place, I can't quite imagine it. So I'm a Californian. I mean, even California to me is diverse. So you, you are, uh, but that definitely <laughs> narrows it down for sure. <laughs> so uh, that's how it all started. And I ended up living in a boat shed, helping him build the boat. I learned to use my own hands. It was so exciting to actually hold tools and learn how to control them. It was like somebody had given me something extra I didn't know I had. And then, you know, you, I, I guess he's, t- he's teaching you just just how to sail and how to um, be on the water. Did, did, did you guys have a lot of early experiences where you're out together out in the ocean? Well, he was a professional, and he was ex- – the one thing I will say is that he went out of his way to make all my early experiences on the water extremely positive. Mm, wise. Yeah, he was very wise. He loved the fact that I had very different abilities than he did, different uh, interests, because we combined them. He used to say that uh, by the time we were together for about 20 years, he used to say, we both have half a brain, and together we make a whole one. But highly practical man, highly determined, but he was determined to keep me on board. So he made sure that first he helped me get my own dinghy and taught me, well, he let me teach myself how to sail the dinghy. He says, you don't need me sitting there chatting in your ear all the time saying, do this, do that. He says, I'll help you put it, he actually built the rig for it. I set out in a little seven foot dinghy after we'd been together for about six or seven months and had a christening party, had a real launching, named her Ravicon which is Ronaldo's horse from Greek mythology. And the horse was the mightiest of steeds and it ate only of the wind. And this, we're talking about a six foot, eight inch long dinghy, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but he set me off in a very enclosed little bay in Newport beach. And I remember him calling to me, Lynn, don't jibe. And I called back, what? And he called again, Lynn, don't jibe. And I said, what? And he said, Lynn, duck quick. And as the boom came swinging across my head, he said, Lynn, that's a jibe. So he let me learn by myself and make my mistakes and capsize and have fun, but in a very protected place. And then he would take me out sailing with him and his friends racing, which I'd loved. I came to, um, I, I found out I'm quite a competitive person, but he took me out racing only when he liked the people and he trusted their boat and the weather was pretty good. And he did that then for my first overnight sail. He had to deliver a boat from north of California down the coast for two nights. And he invited me. And I said, boy, this is the first time you've invited me along since we've been together. And he says, well, this schooner's a nice size for you. But what it really was is he checked the weather carefully. And we had the most magic sail we've ever had. And since that first sailing adventure was so magic, I spent the rest of my life chasing for another sail to match it. It's not always possible to take a French press or a coffee maker out in the woods with you, but thankfully now you don't have to because there is a great option in CS Instant Coffee. They make 100% Arabica Instant Coffee in compostable packaging. It's perfect for the outdoors or whenever you don't have the time to make a fresh pot. And right now, you can save 50% on your first order by going to csinstant.coffee and using the code ADVENTURE at checkout. 
One of my new favorite pieces of gear is actually my wallet, and that's because it's been inspired by simplicity by Rome products. It's a minimalist style wallet, holds my cash, my cards, holds it really tightly because it's elastic, and it's probably eliminated my wallet size down by 60 to 70%. They offer a variety of designs from artistic to patterns, and they're machine washable if they get dirty. They come with a little carabiner so you can clip it to things like your keys or your lanyard. And they also offer a complete line of silicone rings with a variety of styles and colors. So if you're tired of carrying around a big bulky wallet, go to wheredoyouroam.com and use the code PODCAST with a capital P at checkout for 20% off. It just, yeah, it sounds magical, and it sounds like he he took it incredibly, uh, very very practical, like you said, and very wise to allow you to learn um, in a safe environment, make your own mistakes. I mean, that's the best way to learn. From there, I, I guess did the, did the idea just develop that we should just spend the rest of our lives out on a boat? Well, we were. He was building this boat of his because he was tired of going where the other people paid him to go. And he really, he liked traveling. He loved sailing and he loved building things. But the dream that we both had by the time we got together was that we would, for one time in our life, be free for more than three weeks and go somewhere we wanted. So we left, by the time we got the boat built, our goal was to have three or four months and sail to Mexico and then sail back and maybe open a little boatyard because I like the, the retail end of things, and I had set up a little chandlery, and he liked fixing boats, and he knew how to do it. So that was our dream. Um, fortunately for, well, very fortunately for us, two-thirds of the way through building, we were getting impatient, because it's a big project. You're talking 4,000 hours of labor. That's, that's two years full-time work. Yeah. Holy so God. I did... I did. I learned to do the finish work. So it, you know, but it took us three years to earn the money, build the boat, and go on the. In the middle, we went on a crazy adventure where Larry was the first man to sail across the Sahara Desert. But that's another story. We won't talk about that one. But that that was on the National Geographic, in November nineteen sixty-seven. If you yeah, want to look it sounds, up, that sounds like an episode <laughs> right there. <laughs> but it was it was a crazy one. But um, when. We finished when we were finishing up, getting close to finishing the boat. We realized that we were wanting to get going. The cost of an engine to put inside the boat would be almost a year's work more. And Larry had done a lot of racing and sailing on a boat without an engine up in Canada before he ended up skippering down in California. I didn't know any better because I'd learned to sail on a dinghy. I thought, yeah. So he said, let's just go. Now, without the engine, when we come back in four months or five months, we'll go back to work and earn money to put the engine in. So that got us going sooner. And uh, since you know, sailing isn't about getting places in a hurry to us, it's about going sailing, we set off after getting the boat finished, three months after we finished it, and got down to Mexico. And in Mexico, a man came up and said, I've heard that you are a boat jockey. You deliver boats. Would you take my boat back to the United States for me? So we found a Mexican fisherman who lived north of La Paz in a pretty little harbor. 
and uh, asked him to take care of our boat. We got in, picked up the other boat, sailed it back to the United States, and by gosh, we had enough money for another four months or five months. Oh, I see a trend. I see a trend and happening. guess what? <laughs> we never came home again. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is amazing. So, so after that, where, where'd you go off to? Where'd you go to first after that uh, trip to Mexico? Well, we've had a wonderful time in the Gulf of California, Baja California. I spoke a bit of Spanish before we got there. We learned to speak Spanish even more and uh, went through, down towards Panama, through the Panama Canal, sailed up to the United States. It, you know, Miami arrived broke, $50 to our pocket. But the next day we had jobs fixing someone's boat because someone broke a boat in the marina berth right next to ours. Just, just when we arrived, they broke something, and uh, we kept earning. And then uh, about that was two years into our cruising life, I got mad at a magazine editor or something I read in a magazine, and I wrote a very strongly worded letter to the editor, and he just wrote back, prove it. And Larry says, why don't you try? And I had never been a writer. I'd written letters to my mother. That's my writing, extent of my writing. But I really had something I wanted to say. And what the article that I read said was that the perfect cruising boat is something 57 to 60 feet in length. And Larry and I had, and he said, a few Spartan souls have been known to go in boats as small as 30 feet. And we've been wandering around for the last two years in a 24-footer. And we'd met several other people who were in boats from 17 feet long to 35 feet long were saying, one minute, they're telling you people, you've got to be rich to have an adventure. Yeah. And that's not true. Amen. And so, you know, people used to say to us, isn't your boat small? And we'd say, one minute, we own the whole world. So size doesn't matter. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Gosh. Yeah. Well, so to make a long story short, short, I wrote the article sent it to the magazine. They loved it, partially because I had something to say, but more than that, the pictures showed a pretty, very pretty boat, unusual boat that was classic looking. And Larry was a darn good looking hunk. He was a good looking <laughs> And had a wonderful smile. And I've got long black hair and I'm short. I mean, so they saw this couple who looked so average and normal. And we were telling people something no one else at that time was telling them, which was there's wonderful adventures to be had and they aren't about having money. So the writing started taking off. And so from there, we sailed on across the Atlantic, had an amazing time crossing the Atlantic, survived a hurricane in the Chesapeake Bay, which was interesting, but, and uh, then sailed as far as Finland, Sweden, behind the, the Iron Curtain, and Poland, and uh, then down to the Mediterranean, and ended up uh, sailing through the Mediterranean for almost three years, exploring, doing a bit of yacht racing, delivering boats. And I wrote my first book when I was in the Mediterranean, uh, Cruising on Seraphim, and by very good luck, because the book club got, took it on, it ended up selling oh, about 50,000 copies in two years. And we thought we were the richest, luckiest kids in the whole world because we were starting to dream about building a new boat. We'd been cruising for eight years. And we thought, my gosh, 
by then, uh, my writing was becoming such an interesting part of our life and introducing us to wonderful people and helping people. We were getting letters from people saying how much they helped. So eight, that eight years into our voyage, we decided to sail back to the United States or Canada because and build another boat. As much because Larry missed building things, and also he wanted to write a book on boat building by that time because he, he had learned so many interesting skills along the way. And he wanted something to photograph. He wanted to do a book on the details of boat building. And so by building a new boat, he could take the photographs. So it took us another three years to get the boat designed and to sail back through the, down the Red Sea and through the Orient and across the North Pacific and arrive in Canada. And uh, then we searched for a place to build a new boat and ended up in an unusual spot on top of a mountain in a mountain canyon with no electricity, no telephones, no water, running water, and quite often no road. And it was the biggest adventure of our life was spending three years building a slightly larger boat, a 29-foot, six-inch wooden cutter. And once again, no engine, absolute simplicity, traditional navigation. And until 10 years later, no electricity. Then we got a little bit involved in solar power so that's so we that boat was launched in uh, 1985 the boat is older than me <laughs> <laughs> and that boat took us one and a half times around the world and south of all the great southern capes and amazing 27 years we lived on her and voyaged with her uh and uh she took us well into larry's older times because he's no longer able to sail he's uh, been in care for the last three years but uh, it helped me continue sailing until about seven years ago six years ago i decided that i didn't feel like sailing her on my own and i put her up for sale and uh, was uh, not too sure what was going to happen next but boy had we had adventures and i started being a publisher and coaching other young writers and then uh, when Larry was no longer, you know, when Larry was no longer able to recognize me, I realized it was time to move on. And by good fortune, seven months later, a very nice Australian sailor sailed into my life, and now I'm sailing on a big boat. I'm sailing on a forty-footer. Still smaller than the the magazine recommended. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> but but so life has been about. Somebody once said, uh, blessed are they who go around in circles, for they shall be known as wheels. Well, I've been going around in some great big circles in my life, and it circled back to continuing to be quite wonderful. I, I'm sure you understand uh, my complete like loss for words and questions, because that that everything <laughs> you just said... There's a saying we have a saying around here when we're going through a hard time. My wife and I always say we always tell each other, you know, one day it's going to be a sentence, just one sentence in a book. This whole week or this month or whatever. For you, you just kind of summarized probably more adventure than a hundred people fit into their lifetime in a few minutes worth of talking. You 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 traveled the world on a homemade wooden boat, writing a dozen books all in the process. Do you realize just how romantic all that sounds? 
do you realize how romantic it actually was? <laughs> no, I have no clue. I can't even begin to imagine. It has been wonderful. I mean, I, I pinch myself most mornings and say, is this going to keep going, continuing? I, I have some one, had some wonderful friends, much older, and they're gone. But they were well-known sailors in their days, and we be, they mentored us. And his name was Eric Hiscock, and his partner was Susan. They were much more traditional British conservative people. But one day he said to me, do you know the best thing about our life? He said, it makes us wonder if we live in the same world we read about in the newspapers. Mm. And that's what I've found is that uh, we've met amazing people everywhere we've gone. People have been good to us. The foreign people couldn't even speak the same language. They would try to help us. I mean, we lived in the middle of the Kalahari Desert for several months. Bushmen who so desperately tried to communicate that we figured out how to. Wow. So that's what this life has done for me. So that's why I pinch myself when I wake up in the morning. And I've got a family that is so supportive. They think I'm a bit crazy. But if I, the minute I say I'm coming home, the doors are open. They welcome me in. So I've got the very best of both worlds. And so, and you're, you're still not done. You're still, you're setting sail again. Can you, can you tell us about that? What's been the thought process with that? And, and where, where are you going? Well, the, by very good fortune, when I felt open to continuing on and felt that I was missing out on sailing and doing things outside, uh, an Australian gentleman sailed in, and he is a gentleman, uh, to where I was living, and um, we clicked immediately. Uh, he had just finished, almost finished, circumnavigating on the 40-foot sailboat. He's an environmental a lawyer from Australia, like I say, professor of environmental law, but he retired when he was 60 and just set off cruising on a boat. He bought a, a secondhand steel boat, rough and ready. We call it agricultural as far as the construction compared to the, the boats that Larry built look like pianos inside. They were magnificent. Oh, wow. uh, but uh, David Hague is his name, uh, was just 1,700 miles from finishing his 11-year circumnavigation. But before he'd finished it, he wanted to sail around New Zealand because the south of New Zealand is famous for spectacular fjords. And I'd never been there. And uh, he asked if I'd just like to sail along with him and a young woman who was crewing for him because he'd sailed single-handed most of the time except when he crossed oceans. And so I met his crew young lady named Charlie, who's a professional shark diver. And we started to laugh together so much, fit together so well that I sailed around New Zealand with David. And uh, when we got back to my little cottage I have in the north of New Zealand on a little island, Charlie said farewell. And David said, well, would you like to continue on? So together we sailed on to Vanuatu and over to Australia, where after 12 years, He's finished his circumnavigation, and then we headed south to Tasmania under sail, where I was speaking at a wooden boat festival, because I do love going to wooden boat festivals. They're very special. It's a, a unique part of the whole sailing world. And after 
After that, we sailed to the most isolated part of Tasmania, down in the Roaring Forties, a place called Port Davies. And uh, we then left the boat. After that, we did take the boat back to Hobart and left it. And that's where it's waiting for me after I finish introducing this new book and uh, going to the Annapolis wooden boat, the Annapolis boat show. It's a big boat show where I'll be. Uh, I have a booth there where I'm working with Women Who Sail, a wonderful Facebook group that's grown and grown and grown and encourages women to be more involved in sailing. So the plan for this year, we're sailing, exploring the south of Australia and then heading up to be back in New Zealand with the boat for the America's Cup because I've got a lot of racing friends who are coming over. It'll be probably the world's biggest party for sailors. So that's as much as we've planned. I don't want to plan beyond that right now. So for the last six months, I have completely switched over to Umbra sunglasses. And that's because they fixed everything that frustrates me about sunglasses. First of all, they removed the arms. So it's just a cord that connects the frame and it goes around your head and it's able to cinch and securely fit against my head, doesn't shake off at all, and when you pull them off, it's completely flat because there's no arms, so you can't break them. So I put them in my pocket and they're good to go. You can wear them in the river, you can wear them biking, you can wear them playing basketball outside, they're not gonna fall off. And you don't get a headache from the arms pressing up against you. I was skeptical until I put them on and honestly, I I don't even have any other pair of sunglasses now. And also they give back to the environment. They use zero plastic packaging. They plant 20 trees per every pair that's sold. And to date, they've planted over 125,000 mangrove trees. So if you'd like to get a pair, go to ombras.com. And that is O-M-B-R-A-Z.com. Yeah, I don't blame you. And and now you mentioned you mentioned the book. It's uh, self sufficient sailor, and it's on its third edition. Uh, can, can you tell us about what, what what is that book about? And also, what is this third edition going to have in it that that the previous two don't? Well, the self sufficient sailor is the third book Larry and I wrote together, and we can't tell every people everything about how to go cruising because. Everyone starts from a different place. There's so many choices. So we decided in our writing career that we would just write about what we were interested at the moment, the things we'd learned. And that book uh, talked about how to get going, whether you had a boat or didn't, and some of the tips that we learned about being self-sufficient, about seamanship, about taking care of yourself. It was a very popular book, and it went through, had a second edition where we just updated facts But when I started to update this book, because Larry is no longer able, so we say he has Parkinson's dementia, Parkinsonian dementia, Mm. and uh, has had major strokes. So unfortunately, he's in full-time care. I fly back to see him every three or four months at most, try to get there more often. But the new edition, I started going through it and realized that seven of the chapters are really outdated because people no longer use oil lamps because solar power is so helpful and easy to use, Mm -hmm. but uh, things like that. But then as I started to do it, I realized I had 
never told people about the lessons we learned by sailing around Cape Horn. The amazing adventure that was to beat against the prevailing winds around the Cape Horn. And also the storm of saying you know, what happened in my later life, taking care of Larry. His, you know, not, it's not about taking care of Larry, but some of the sailing lessons I learned when I had to sail by myself uh, and then about the transition to sailing with someone else on a completely different kind of boat because there's many differences between the boats that I sailed on for 47 years and the boat I'm sailing on now. And there's a little bit of a joke because Sahula, that's the name of the boat I'm on now, has an engine and I'm not used to having an engine. And David, my uh, partner, looked up, we were out sailing one day and he says, well, what would you do if I happened to fall overboard? And I looked up at the sails and I told him that I would jibe the sails and I would back it and I'd go onto a beam reach. And he looked at me and says, Lynn, how about first you turn the engine on? What was the last thing I think about? So you spent years without one. (laughs) Yeah. So even though we've delivered other boats, those are intermittent. You know, I've sailed on, I've crossed oceans on 23 different boats. So it's not just the time we sailed on our boat, and that's what's been wonderful, learning about them. So the new book shares this experience. But one of the things that for the person being introduced to all of this, the first three chapters are all about going sailing, crossing oceans without owning your own boat, how to get physicians on boats, how to find crew if you're a skipper with a boat and don't have crew. So I've added uh, 12 brand new chapters and made sure everything else is fully updated to today's dates complete with different websites to visit. I'm really pleased with the book. I'm just delighted the way it came out. That's fantastic. And and when when does it come out? It is being launched in two weeks. It's available already on Amazon and on Kindle. Uh, So it's just all happening. It took off before I was quite ready for it. Kind of like you did (laughs) at the beginning of all this. Yeah. So it's so that's where we are right now. And uh, if people want to learn more about Larry and I, and the amazing time we had, Herb McCormick wrote a biography called As Long As It's Fun. Because Larry, whenever people said, well, how long are you going to keep doing this? His answer was always as long as it's fun. So that book has is a pretty good place for people to get an idea of some of the crazies and some of the fun and some of the Yes, hard work sometimes. A lot of hard work at times. <laughs> do Do you think you lived by that then? As as long as it was fun, do you think? Do you think you, for the most part, of course, obviously, you know, there's going to be situations that aren't fun. For the most part, do you think you uh, you, you lived by that? Well, let me ask you. You've been adventuring in your life. Yes, ma'am. Is there anything as pure fun as the pr- hard work and realizing that you're ready to go? And getting out there on that rock face, on that mountaintop, or in that stormy situation, and knowing you've prepared well, you're doing it now. It's pure fun. It's a it's a great feeling. It is. Yes, it's a great feeling. But uh, and there's just been some just wonderful fun times of just meeting people. I always say the bonus of cruising is the people you meet. I can't. I would say that it's been more fun than I ever expected. And it still is. I still love getting out there. And you want to know my favorite moment when I'm sailing? Yeah, I would love crossing to. An ocean. When I'm crossing an ocean and I'm halfway across 
and everything's in control. There's a moment when I just say to myself, nobody knows where I am and nobody cares. And that's a wonderful feeling just to be out there on that ocean with just the elements around you. I love it. Uh, I, you you kind of stumped me here. I'm not going to oh, lie. Sorry. No, I'm I know it's just, it's amazing. I, I don't even know how to scratch. I'm, I don't even know how to scratch the surface of, of your experience and of the amount of writing and just the amount of life that you've lived. Uh, you know, if you could, probably the most applicable any of this is to the listener is the very beginning because we're all probably not living a life like this. Uh, anyone listening to the show? There are a few, of course, there are a few. Um, could you just take us back and, and what would you, when you were in school and you were around all those uh, computer folk and in university, what do you wish you would have knew then that you know now? And, and what could you tell somebody who who is in those shoes right now? Um, that's about as narrowed down as I can get right now, because this is just, I'm going to have to read these books. It's unreal. I would say I wish I'd known that risk was only in your mind. If you think and plan and say, jump, I guess what I'm trying to say in a simple word, jump as far as you can. The worst thing is you'll skin your knee, but don't let people tell you you can't do things. And this is something I've seen so often in life. I listen to people saying, I'd like to do it, but I, but so-and-so says I'd be crazy. When people tell you you can't do something, most of the time they mean they don't think they could do it. Or if you do it, you're going to make them have to look at themselves and say, why didn't I do it? Your parents don't want you to do things because they're going to be worried about you. And your boss doesn't want you to do it because you're going to have to train someone else to take your job. And the people selling things, the people selling you climbing gear don't want you to go off far away from them because they lose a customer. Everybody's going to tell you you can't, but usually it's they have their own reasons. And I'm going to tell you, you can. And Larry said that to me very early in our time together. I was, I'm very short-legged. I'm four foot ten, uh, and I'm clumsy. I won't deny I'm a clumsy person. At least it ain't far to fall if you trip. Yeah, and he said I don't have to far to fall. But when I was trying to jump off a boat onto a dock, he says, "Lynn, leap as far as you want because I'm here to catch you." Mm. And David says the same as he's encouraging me to take up long distance trekking and a bit of gentle mountain climbing at 75. I'm not going to be a climber. That's for sure. He keeps saying, come on, Lynn, I'm here. I'm not going to help you until you really need it, but I'm here to help anytime. So go for it. Just go for it. Is it, is it just as hard to go for it now at 75 as it was when you were in college? Does it feel the same risk or, or do you think about it differently? I think about it differently. I figure I'm going to go for it now because I, Okay, when Larry decided we should sail around Cape Horn instead of through the Panama Canal uh, back in, I was almost 60 at that time. And I said to him, you know, Larry, at my age, I haven't got anything left to prove. And he turned to me and said, Lynn, at your age, you haven't got anything left to lose. Hmm. So that's how I feel right now. I'm going for it as long as I can. I'm sure in a lot of ways it still feels, you know, I, I, this is, you still get butterflies in your stomach. I still get butterflies in my stomach, 
Last year, due to my own carelessness, uh, I broke five ribs, eight fractures, reaching for a handhold that was not in that boat. It was in a boat I'd been sailing on for 27 years. My reaction once I got over the extreme pain that happens was, you know, I still heal. And I'm glad I, you know, it taught me a lesson again. Because six weeks later, I was back sailing full speed. Jeez, you're clumsy. You're not kidding. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, it is. Anybody who breaks a rib is ready to go in six weeks. We heal. I know this might just not even apply anymore, but if you didn't choose that, to, to make that phone call that day, to want to wanna learn how to sail, can you even imagine what else you'd be doing right now? Is there, do you ever, have you ever thought about that? I have because I, I'm visiting with my family and I'm running into a few people I knew way back then. And they all figured out, they, they were all figured that had I not gone the way I did, that I'd be playing around with computers. And you know something? I thank God for computers, but I'm sure glad I don't have to play with them for a living. <laughs> right. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been as exciting. You might have, you might no. have made more money, but you wouldn't have been as exciting. <laughs> nope, no, it would not have been as fulfilling. Absolutely. Do Do you have any parting words of advice for people? I I, I just I I'm not gonna lie. I just totally feel I have not. I think I think I need to spend like a week interviewing you because. <laughs> most people it's like a trip you know it's like a month or two long trip that we interview them about and you can kind of get it all out in an hour this i just i'm just gonna apologize at the at the end here i just don't even i, I can't even wrap my head around all this well interesting thing uh when we wrote our very first book because larry and i you know we shared the ideas back and forth i was the one that put it down on paper but the stories were both of ours and he said, we got to sum this all up somehow, this book we're writing. And he's, I know, go small, go simple, go now. And just a few weeks ago, uh, uh, David, my new partner, I've taken him on, the, I have a little, I have a pickup truck with a camper that we use for when we're doing lecture tours or seminars. And so I said, I'm going to show you the United States since he'd never really seen it. And so we've been driving through of Colorado Plateau area for two months exploring. And when we got to the Grand Canyon, uh, expecting to stay one day, we ended up saying, we came into the North Rim. I was, we were blown away. And I actually had to stop and do some work for a while because of the seminars. I'm doing a very big all day seminar uh, next week and a boat show. And I was saying, how can I nicely get rid of David for a day or two, get him fully occupied. And I was talking to a ranger and the ranger said that he could probably sneak him in on a rim to rim walk. And uh, so my gosh, we were able to get, they only allow a certain number of people each day. Yeah. And uh, he had to, happened to have a few open spaces. So David took off on a three day rim to rim walk. And um, he's six foot two with legs that are almost as tall as I am. But he's a he's a real he's done some major mountain climbing. But problem is he didn't have any camping gear. We'd arrived there in a you know on a road trip. We went over to the little shop they have there. We bought two space blankets and a sleeping mat. I gave him a sheet. We put peanut butter and plastic 
bag and jam and another, got some bread, very the simplest possible. And he set off for three days carrying six kilos. Everybody says, what are you, you know, where are you going to sleep? No tent. And David says, I, it's starry, beautiful nights. I want to be out here. By the time he came on the canyon, he's in his 70s also. He was fresher than anyone else there because he'd gone small, he'd gone simple, but he went. So my parting words are just that. Don't dream. Don't think you need money. Go the simplest way you can. Keep your pack small and get out there now. That is beautiful. You know why? Because that is exactly what keeps people from doing it, saying, I don't have the right sleeping bag. Well, heck, you don't even need one if you're honest with yourself. You know, get a space blanket. They're $3. Yeah. We only paid $1.50 each for space blankets, and that was at Grand Canyon. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, they've gone up since then, I think. (laughs) Wow, that is unbelievable. Well, Well, we should talk again at some point. I just would love to just interview you about something specific within your journey, um, some era even, and you're obviously a wonderful storyteller, so I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. It's been fun. I hope you have a great time on these upcoming adventures. I'm excited to hear how they go. Thank you very much. Give me a call anytime. Yes, ma'am. All right. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>